0: Welcome back to another episode of Pastors of Pain. We are a podcast. We are a radio show. We are all things to all people. Uh, Father Carey is not here again, and he would say the same thing about me from a couple weeks ago. I was on vacation. I was at a youth conference. All kinds of good stuff. So in the last a couple of weeks, we've had a number of of visitors, a number of very special guests going back. We had uh, Chris Petrin talking about the incarnation. We had Trevor Alley talking about his conversion story. Last week on the show, we had uh, the new hospitality coordinator from St. Francis Xavier, Amanda Fiorazzo. That was wonderful and interesting. I hope you were challenged by it. Um, today, very special guest, very special, and that is Angela Vivar Romero. Has come to us. Um, she's on our staff, uh, but more importantly, has been around in and around Stillwater for life. For life, I've been here a long time. A long time. Okay, Angela, give us a little uh, background where you, where you're from, uh, how you got to uh, working at St. Francis Xavier, and then we'll jump into kind of what you do all day. And, um, and you just have a fascinating life of faith and and yeah. story to tell. Give us a little. Give us the rundown. A long story. <laughs> We're, we got. We got time. We have time. Okay, we got time. Um,
1: So I was born at Stillwater Medical Center on Sixth nice. Street. Yeah, so I'm a Stillwateran. Um, my family actually is from uh, Veracruz, Mexico. So it's a coastal state. So
0: where's okay. in Mexico? Give us a
1: geography wise. So like if you're looking at a map and then you like curve it like a cornucopia, like you actually draw a cornucopia with your hands. It's it's like on the East Coast and it's the longest day in Mexico. And we have the oh. tallest volcano, I think, in our hemisphere or in oh, North America. There, something like that. Oh, trivia. Yeah. So Orizaba uh, is, is the city that we're from. Uh, my parents are from, I was actually, like I said, I was born in Stillwater. Um, somehow my, my dad's side ended up in Wisconsin. Um, and my the grand
0: Veracruz, <laughs> Wisconsin connection. Yes.
1: The, uh, uh, the route uh, up there. But, uh, my grandpa was a translator for, uh, the Bracero program, I believe. And so he, he taught himself English wow. and wanted to go to the U S. So he ended up going there, um, was plugged into the Mercruiser plant, so sure. Mercury Marine, um, and then I guess was transferred or wanted to transfer over to Stillwater. Dad came to Stillwater. Um,
0: so there's actually a lot of, I mean, in Stillwater, there's a lot of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. To, you know, like our Deacon, Deacon. Paul Govek and mm-hmm. lots of our other parishioners. Ed Ike, who just recently died, oh, yeah. was in that whole Mercruiser pipeline
1: world. Yes. Yeah, it's big. So, so my dad was, um, a part of that too. So he worked on a cruiser and, um, he actually went down to Mexico for a few years and he was like driving a bus or something. And I guess he saw my mom and was like, Hey, Hey, hey. How's it going? <laughs> and he started like saving her a seat and, and they met and then, um, they, they both came here, uh, at different times, but yeah, that's kind of how I, I ended up in Stillwater and, um. I uh, graduated from Oklahoma State University. Go Pokes. Uh, yeah, go Pokes for sure. Right on. And I have uh, my master's from UCO. And yeah, I've just been really passionate, I guess, for the Hispanic community. I Love know it. as much as I, I, I don't know, I, I can't question it because I know that God has called me to it. And so um, education and working with the Hispanic Latino population has been a huge, huge part of my
0: career. Nice. So before you started working for the parish, you worked at. OSU, tell us about that. Your 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 work. Yeah. There.
1: So, um, I actually worked at Meridian Technology Center for two years before that, and then before that I worked at OSU, and then before that I worked in like the public school system, and so it's been a really interesting. Are you worked in
0: Tulsa a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I worked yeah. in
1: Tulsa, um, doing a program for uh, Hispanic students in high schools and just providing like new experiences for them. It was called Conexiones with the Community Service Council of Greater Tulsa at the time. Um, and so that was awesome. I got to create a lot of cool, I guess, outings and opportunities. And so we take the kids to college campuses and to national leadership conferences and places I had actually never been myself. So I got opportunity. I took That's them to cool. Frontier City yeah. cause I had never yeah. been. Nice. <laughs> so I was like, we should take the kids to Frontier City. Um, and, and our sponsors were like, what? And, but, um, Zero Foundation stepped in and love it. <laughs> uh, and they had provided that awesome experience. And so, um, I realized at the time that, um, I was helping kids get into college, but I wasn't teaching them how to stay in college. And that really stuck with me because, um, my kids would go in, but they're first generation. And so I, um, I, I, kind of started a formula in my mind of like, I should have done this. I should have done that. I, but they actually ended up doing well in life. It just took them a little bit, but that led me to OSU. Um, before that I did teach Spanish for a while. So (laughs) in the schools a lot, um, But where I really felt called was at Oklahoma State University. I worked for the Division of Institutional Diversity, and my whole job was retention. And so retaining actually some of the same kids that I had sent to college um, ended up being my students at OSU. And I taught them how to stay in school and how to graduate. And I think that was sort of um, redemption from having thought that I had a bunch of kids but i don't i know i didn't we sure. still have a very close relationship and they're doing well but anyway that led to a lot of retention work at osu through id and and then um, they were like hey angela you're really good at this how about you do it for the whole university and i was like oh sure oh, okay okay but you know i was actually very bold and i was like yeah i can totally do it i was actually i think like overconfident <laughs>
0: And so Confidence I. Confidence <laughs> is good. Humility is good too. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so um, I ended up working at the Office of First Year Success, um, overseeing student engagement for our freshman students at OSU. Um, and that was super rewarding too. Created a, a really cool scholarship program there. And um, from there, uh, so the, the journey, right, to working. Oh, so from there, actually, part of my story is the fact that my dad got cancer um, throughout that whole. Um, last part at OSU, and I there was just a moment where two different reasons, but one reason I'll share is that my dad um, was so sick that he needed someone to take care of him full time. Yep. And so I I quit my job um, right when I was kind of on on a high note. Family you know? first. <laughs> family yeah. first. And I knew God was going to take care of me. I knew that God was calling me to take care of my dad. Um, so yeah, I took care of him um, after he passed. I took some time off and then I was like, okay, maybe I should go back to work. I got
0: to get back in the mix. I got to <laughs> yeah, support
1: myself. Exactly. And so actually uh, a parishioner called me one day and she said, I keep hearing your name and I think you're supposed to come work at Meridian because we're looking for somebody and you just you keep coming to mind." And so I'm really grateful to her um, for calling me that, that day. She got you back in the workforce. And she got me back yeah. in the workforce. Yeah. And so um, I was there for a couple of years and um and after that, uh, after those couple of years, I was still scheduled to go back to Meridian, but something in me was like, uh, and it was a great place, uh, but it was like, you know, it's time for a change. And I knew I needed to transition. And interestingly enough, a position came open at the church, which I didn't know was going to come open. But I was like, God, I'm I'm ready. Like, I'm ready for whatever you want me to do next. Um, and I was suffering a lot because I, I felt called to something. I just didn't know what the heck it was. Sure. And I remember one morning being so just my heart was so low. because I was like, where do I go? And so I end up um, uh, telling God one morning I'm I'm in front of the family Bible. And I just say, God, if you want me to work at the church, you've got to let me know. Like, I will do it. And you texted me and you said, Ta-da. <laughs> you said, we're looking for someone to work at the church. And I was like, oh me. And so I, I remember, um, that, that evening also, there was a confirmation with a friend that was basically, I told her, oh no, the day before I said, Cindy, um, it, I said, she said, do you want to come work in Washington DC? Because we might have something at our organization. And I'd always wanted to work there. And I was like, uh, Maybe I'll think about it. And I said, Cindy, if my church had an opening, I would probably rather work there. And that was the day before you texted huh. me. Exactly. So everything was leading I don't leading think I've ever this. heard this whole story. <laughs> Dang. I didn't want to tell wow. you. I didn't want to influence your decision. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's, you know, another funny story. I was sitting in the nave and you know how I was praying like a lot leading up to working at the church. Sure. I would show up like two hours a day sometimes. And you're a regular mass goer. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So I was sitting there and I remember watching staff walk by with like their keys and something in me was like, those are your keys. I want keys. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, those are my keys. And now you have keys. And now I have keys to the church. So that's how I got there. I love
0: it. Yeah. So, in, and even, you know, even from like being hired to now, like the job has changed and really because, and I think what a lot of people don't, un- don't understand and don't see is we have a large and growing Hispanic community mm-hmm. in and around Stillwater. So not just Stillwater, there's Spanish speakers in, in Perkins and Glencoe and where mm-hmm. basically wherever, where there are people yeah. in the United States, mm-hmm. there are very likely Spanish speakers in and around. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everywhere. We've,
1: we've grown tremendously. Like from the time that I was a little kid, like I said, I'm, I'm from Stillwater. We had um, a very small population. I remember being one of the first families, not the first, but one of the first families around uh, the area and we would walk around Walmart. Um, my dad would drop us off there, me, my mom, my mom and my brother, and we'd, you know, kind of read books or just, there was nothing to do. Uh, and we'd see a Hispanic family like speaking Spanish. And it was like, (gasps) I know, (laughs) Hey. Hey, you like, are you Mexican? No, but really like we just would go up to them and it was, um, it was, really amazing to finally have someone that looked like you and spoke like you and was even Catholic like you. And so we built small relationships. And um, at the time uh, we had St. John, we had mass at St. John's once a month and we would have a potluck, some sisters from Tulsa would come and uh, we're a small community. And uh, the community tended to be from like Venezuela or Central American, Mexico students. So doctoral students, master students coming to SU. And then we had a population surge, I would say probably in about After 2000, and that's when a lot of our really our hardworking families came in. Who, um, uh, yeah, who just do a lot in the community in in terms of working with their hands. So now we have like this combination of uh, people from like the university and also just hardworking people.
0: Love it. Yeah. What would you say? Like, how many? I don't. I know there's not a number, (laughs) kind of a census number, but like, how many Hispanics are in the Stillwater area? I only find out during the King Yeah. <laughs> I yeah.
1: I would father I don't know maybe 2000 or yeah. something. Yeah I mean
0: it's 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 several it's it has to be several thousand. thousand. Yes. Um and I think people I think that might be a surprise for some people um you know who maybe have interaction with uh a, a Hispanic family in their neighborhood at school through OSU um at a local restaurant or they you know they see kind of but, but it's, it's more than you think. Yes. Um,
1: yeah. So, I mean, even you count OSU and from the time I left, there was about 1500 students. So that's just a student population yep. of 1500 Hispanic yep. Latino students. You take the people who actually live in town and around town and you add some thousands to that. And I know it doesn't seem like that, but they're here, um, in our parish. Perkins.
0: I mean, in yeah. Perkins that, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, so mass goers, um, we have a, a, a good—the other day somebody said, what do you have, like, 80 people show up? And I said, just wait. And so mass started, yeah. and I counted about 200 people yep. that day. Yep. Um, and so they, they do come. They
0: come. Yeah. Yeah. When you were working at OSU, you mentioned kind of there was issues with, um, you know, kind of a student, a Hispanic student would come come to college but have difficulty kind of getting through. Yes, Talk us through that. What were those like? What what are for a first generation Mm. college student? What what are those barriers? You know, you might somebody might think like, well, just do your homework and (laughs) you know do your homework, go to class, and graduate. Yeah. What are those barriers that people might not be aware of?
1: Yeah. So it's it. There is a mentality of like, get it together, pull yourself up by your boots. And I, I get it. But when you work with kids and you actually see it one-on-one you see that there is a struggle and a difference between maybe um a, a student who has never had any family attend college like there is nothing to go off of there's i'll take um how can I speak about this uh, in a way that, that I can share? There are awards that are available everywhere. There are scholarships available. There are awards in different universities that are available. And if you happen to sit on the other seat and you're a judge, which I was blessed enough to be to gain that skill set through OSU and, and to be able to judge and be on a lot of committees for um, different awards um, and really well-known ones. And so it tended to be sometimes that, um, if you just didn't know how to write the application, you didn't win, but you could have been just as qualified. You just didn't know how to form a system. There's a system. Yeah. There is, um, literally, um, a, a file folder, I would say, and it's electronic maybe now, but there's actual papers that get passed down from generations that have won these awards before and that have been to college and parents have been to college down, um, And we had a bunch of, we worked with first gen kids. We had the kids who were like, why am I not winning? I I do just as much. And then um, I got I have a good resume. Wonderful resume. Presidents of organizations, everything. Um, And then. Presentation
0: exactly there.
1: how do you put it how do you phrase that how do you write that essay in the in the correct way um how do you even know that you're supposed to list that you are president first you don't wait on that you don't put that at the bottom you put president first you put vp next you put mr or miss crown next you don't put it somewhere and that makes all the difference um and so the way that that um the system kind of works is that whenever you do not have a background in these areas you don't know how to do it you're not going to get access access is a huge thing and so we teach our kids how to gain access into these areas and then they end up being on a level playing field finally and they start winning awards and it's not because yeah, they can compete yeah they oh my god our kids can compete. for sure not only that but you talk about hard-working people i mean these kids have parents who literally work construction 12 15 hours a day in the blazing sun They are taught how to work hard. And so they transfer that into their academics and into their leadership. And you have a whole breed. You have a a new breed of a kid where you're like, dang, you are impressive. They got it going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have kids now who made it to Washington, D.C., who are working on the Hill, who are doing all kinds of stuff um, and who are abroad because somebody just said, I think you can do this. And let's just teach you how. And they got there.
0: Love it. Yeah. I think about it in my own life, you know, just kind of, we talk about sort of pr- like privilege and like I have two, I have two parents who both went to college. I have four older brothers and sisters who all went to college. And so when it, when it became my time to go to college, like, well, of course, one, number one, of course I'm going to college because that's what we do. Mm. Um, and two, like how, well, how do you apply? Well, I had two parents who did it, mm. aunts and uncles who did it, cousins who did it, and like my own brothers and sisters who did it. And so I had this kind of model pattern of life. Oh, that's how you do it. Yeah. Where you know, put yourself in the kind of that shoes of you're 18 years old. You're a senior in college, and nobody you know. Yeah. Has been to college mm-hmm. or graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Where do you where? Yeah. Where would you learn that? Anyway, that's where you. That sounds like that's where you came in to. Yeah. Kind of bridge that.
1: Well, that's because that's what that I gap. did. Like I yeah. was. Lo- I remember being at OSU, and I don't think I stepped into the call co- into the uh, library until. Honestly, maybe my freshman year, I remember walking in twice, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to order food because we ate. There's a saying in Spanish. It's a joke. I frijoles en la casa. Like there's beans at the house. at the house? Yeah. (laughs) And so we're not going to go to some restaurant and, you know, order food when there's food in the house. And so I remember trying to order at OSU. And I don't think I used my meal card the first year, hardly at all. Because I was too embarrassed. But, you know, I found out there was kids around me who were like, God, I don't know. I remember we were trying to use the dishwasher one night. And none of us, our moms had dishwashers. And so we all looking into this dishwasher and we're like, I could almost see a camera looking up at us. And we're like, how do you use it? And like, I don't know. So we just ended up washing them by hand. Um, but eventually we did learn. We came,
0: we, we uh, really liked it. Yeah. What would you say, you know, so we have at, at the parish, we have, um, we have four, four weekend masses. We have three in English. And then we have a Spanish mass at one o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, there, and there are people. Um, there's there's kids there's teenagers there's young adults there's older people moms and dads and um w- the the idea that um I think in some parishes they're they're kind of struggling with that gosh do, there are Spanish speakers do we start a Spanish mass you said you know there it got started here in Stillwater you know 30 maybe 30 years ago we don't have a, we don't have About an exact ish. date mm-hmm. there was a once a month Spanish mass and it grew and it grew and it grew and now we have Not only Spanish Mass every Sunday, which we've had for, I don't know, uh, probably 20 years that there's been, maybe Mm. more. And then now we just started our new Mass schedule. We have a daily, a a Wednesday night Mass, 6 o'clock in in Spanish. So that's new, new and improved. Um, Why a Spanish Mass? Why have one at all? I mean, there's this, Mm. yeah, I think you hear that. Oh, my gosh. Um, Why can't, why, why? This is, you know, this is America. This is a, what, what's the argument for uh, a I mean, I have one. I want to, I want to hear yours and then I'll, yeah. and then I'll jump in. Oh, and, Father, and yes. Because I love, I love that we have a Spanish mass. Yeah. We have priests that speak Spanish. We can mm-hmm. all speak our Spanish better. Um, we're working on it. We're getting, you know, we're getting better yeah. and better as we go. But why, why have a Spanish mass yeah. at all?
1: Uh, well, you know what? We can, we can get into like political stuff. We can get into things that are divisive. Um, and I might get into a little bit of that, but the first thing I'm going to say is that
0: could be another show. Yeah. that
1: could be a whole nother show in itself. The love first it. thing I'm going to say is that we are called to love each other. Um, and we are called to be an imitation of Christ. And so if your biggest concern is like not giving access to somebody because you think they should speak the language, I think that we need to reexamine our relationship with Christ honestly. Yeah. Um, and where we are, um, in our, in our journey Um, and I know I have a ways to go, but whenever it comes to giving access to people's um, giving people access to the sacraments, well um, I think that attendance would be a lot lower if there was no Spanish mass. I think that the the future of the Catholic church here in the United States is primarily Latino in many places. And so if you are denying people the sacraments because of a language barrier or trying to force them into a box that they just don't fit in, I think that's really, um, something to examine in ourselves um and, and that's not
0: something i just to uh, for clarity's sake i don't i don't hear that a lot you might hear yeah, that i mean i, I hear something i just too. you get you get yeah there's little comments sort of here and there yeah i think in stillwater at our parish i think it's a well-known fact that we're we're a two-language yes. parish now are we primarily english-speaking yes when you call the parish office you know the the person answering the phone, you know, will answer it in English our website, or mm-hmm. you know. But but now you're seeing, you know, our bulletin or you know a lot. And this is Angela's responsible for a lot of this. We're putting out more things in both languages in order with the goal of reaching more people for yeah. Christ and His Church. I mean, that's the
1: absolutely that's the goal. And I see that in our people. That I I see that um, in in um, our community is that it. I don't see a reluctance, you know, to to accepting our Spanish speakers, which is absolutely beautiful and that just speaks to the heart of the fact that we are each called to be missionaries. And if there is a way that we can help bring the gospel to people who are not like us, I mean, gosh, what else? That's hitting the nail on the head, I think, in terms of what we, we are called to do. So, um, I see good things in our community. I hope it stays that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we're building, I I think we're getting kind of getting better year over year. Mm -hmm. Um, I've certainly learned a lot in my, I've been here four and a half years now, uh, My Spanish has improved, you know, and just kind of, I feel more, way more comfortable like just having like a conversation in Spanish, not having to sort of go on a script or, you know, um, and I'm so grateful to our Spanish speakers, you know, for their, for their patience, their love, their, um you know, kind of accepting mm-hmm. me as their pastor, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so trying to kind of reciprocate that with efforts and trying to make things more accessible. I've always heard that people um, kind of pray, whatever your original language, you pray and you count. Mm. So if you're if you're a native French speaker or, mm-hmm. what, you know, whatever your language and I say count to 10, mm-hmm. you're going to go whatever I don't, <laughs> I don't know language. but you're going to go to whatever you you know whatever kind of you started with. Yeah. Um and prayer is the same way. You know, however mm-hmm. you learn to pray. Yeah. And so to give people the ability to be able to come and to pray um in Spanish is really beautiful. It I does. would encourage people anyone listening if you if you've never been to uh the Spanish mass like pick a Sunday and come. Please come. Um it's <laughs> it's cool. I mean the music is a little different. Mhm. Obviously, the language is is there, but then we also have like I mean, we do this in English too. If a Spanish speaker came to an English mass, they have you know they have the the creed in Spanish, the glorians, er, the creed in English. So you have sort of you'll have like a worship aid to to kind of help you along, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then we have little booklets and stuff that that will help people kind of pray. Um, But anyway, I love it. I love that we have it. I love that we're able to offer more and more. Okay. Tell us about like stuff that we do in Spanish. You know, we just had like our Spanish parish mission. Mm -hmm. Um, actually got a very nice little thank you letter from father Mauricio who came. Um, and then anyway, tell us about like what we do specifically in Spanish, which is things that are coming out of your office.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the Spanish Parish Mission is um, our three-day mission that we try to have every summer. And like you said, Father, Father um, Mauricio from Arkansas came and visited us this year. And usually there will be a theme, uh, and this theme was living water. Mm, and yeah, It was so good. It was so good. It was John seven thirty seven. And at first, I thought it was John 37. And I was like, I don't think that's yeah, in the Bible. It only goes up to yeah, so <laughs>
0: 22, I think.
1: I was confused at first. Uh, but anyway, so we did that. Uh, I know throughout the year, some of the things that we've done is uh, we did a series of talks in february that called mini charla so charla is basically a talk a little
0: little chit chat yeah
1: Yeah. and i would recommend this to any parish anybody listening out there so people are tired afternoon they didn't get to eat before mass um so our spanish mass is at 1 pm so you have people who have not had lunch and immediately after mass the tradition tends to be i'm going to go get something to eat with my family uh and so what we did is we said hey we promise this talk will not be more than 35 to 40 minutes of your time and there's food. And so we found a way to like serve food super fast and we would like lure people in with food.
0: But I know they were there for the word of God. That's what we were talking and about so, last yeah. week with the man. That, like, yeah, there's yes, food is a way to oh yeah, a way to people's hearts.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that really, uh, I think, helped. And so um, one of our parishioners, um, Dr. Hugo Ferrer, he did many talks on the saints or just whatever topics he did and ended up being really good, literally. so cool.
0: He sang and wrote his guitar. (laughs) It
1: was great. All in like 35 to 40 minutes. And so this happened and um, we actually had the sisters from Tulsa uh, visiting us too. And so they would do a monthly catechism class and that was well attended and people really started growing in their faith with that. Um, And what else? So uh, the charismatic renewal group, from Tulsa, also um, visits us from time to time, and they do some some learning with us, and we love it. We have a Bible, be, yeah, yeah, walk through the scriptures because we do have some charismatic members of, of the parish, and they really enjoy like, the Holy and worship and the Holy Spirit speaking yeah. tongue tongues. And so it.
0: it it is super cool. Yeah. And then you know we like recently we just we had vacation like vacation Bible school, yes, and so we you know what happens is you have, ki- you know, we had a hundred I don't know hundred plus kids mm-hmm. from all all over the parish. Mm-hmm. And you have, you know, these kids all generally kind of go to school together. We have homeschool kids, and we have kids in different school districts around the area. Um, But you have this beautiful, you know, some of the some of our kids speak English at home, some of our kids Mm -hmm. speak Spanish at home, some of them go to, you know, the the one of the three English masses, some of them go to the Spanish mass, you know. And here you got all, you know, you got all these kids together, and moms at the drop off, yeah. um, Just the cool, I think, with in our kids that's an opportunity mm-hmm. for some of that kind of cultural overlap where kids can kind of, you know, meet each other and learn from yeah. each other. It's beautiful.
1: It's beautiful. And it's beautiful to see that they don't, they just see each other as kids, you know, and they're, they're all sitting together and they, 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 do dough doe together. They know, yeah. They yeah. know
0: each other. Wild Wild West <laughs> Wild Wild West theme. was the
1: theme. Yeah. Uh, it was cool. And I actually was wondering if I should do it or not, but I, I was really glad um that I did it because I got to meet our, our mini parishioners um even more closely. And so yeah. that, that seemed pretty important
0: I love that yeah so where do you see this going I mean kind of in your I mean you you have you work at the parish yes. and then you also do a lot of speaking around the country I do I mean just recently you were in Idaho mm-hmm. you were down in Brownsville mm-hmm.
1: uh, yeah, yeah you've just been yeah.
0: I mean, that's just in the last <laughs> in the last couple of weeks yeah um parish wise what what's next for us where do you see us going with Hispanic ministry what are we mm. I mean, we're obviously, we're reaching a lot of people, but there's yeah. also a lot of people that we're not yeah. reaching.
1: Um, so where I see us going is I hope that, um, so interestingly enough, tonight we have our quinceañera class. And so we're starting this new quinceañera formation program where our girls are going to learn about who they are in Christ. Um, so quinceañera,
0: give us that. Oh, yeah, yeah. What What is that for people who maybe have not heard of it?
1: Sweet 16, but in Latin America. And it's like a huge... Huge party.
0: Uh, for when you turn 15. For when you turn yeah. 15. Quince is
1: 15. Quince, yeah yeah. Um, and and the, the biggest part of this is that the girl would learn how to be a a confident young woman who is confident in Christ more than anything. And that's the goal that we are aiming for. Yep. And so we are... If you know of any girls uh, who are going to turn 15, we, we hope that they would come Come to these classes. Yeah. Send them our way. Absolutely. Um, so that's part of our future. Um, more weddings are coming in to play, more people wanting comfort, needing confirmation, adults and adult confirmation. So there is a demand for sacraments and I do ask for prayers, um, from our parishioners and anybody that's listening because, um, you know, I was telling father O'Brien, I, I think that I just need to spend some time in, in the nave and in prayer figuring that out, uh, Letting God speak because I do believe that He wants us to make disciples of of our people. That is of everybody, and that's what I got in prayer one time, and and I know that I need to spend more time with that. So I'm excited for
0: that. Yeah, and the challenge. I mean, I'll speak personally. You know, the challenge is doing that. um, You know, I'm 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 a very confident uh, English speaker. You know. Uh, I can get up and preach. I can, you know, if you said, give a talk right now Mm -hmm. about the saints for one hour Mm -hmm. in English, I'd be like, yeah, totally. And if you said, okay, give a talk in Spanish about the saints for one hour, I'd be like, "Mm, uh, (laughs) uh, I would, I would need, you know, a massive time Mm -hmm. to prepare Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't come off as, you know, as naturally. And so there is like a, there's a barrier there. I mean, obviously culturally, it's not how I grew up. I grew up, you know, kind of in the suburbs of Houston, um, but there's a language barrier and i think that's that's a you know that i'm here father healy's here mm-hmm. Deacon tom Kabin, you know all of us we all speak spanish mm-hmm. uh, deacon paul govic but but kind of culturally there's a, there's a disconnect mm-hmm. and language wise there's it just i just can't do in spanish what i'm able to do in english um and like i've like all this like regret and like oh why didn't i study more you know but we just got to do it we just yeah. do it. We just enter into kind of the messiness of it yeah. and do the best we can with what we got mm-hmm. and and let God do the rest.
1: Absolutely. Let God do the rest. That's right. That's that's, that's awesome. What
0: we can do. Yep. Okay, Angela, we're out of time. Thank you. Thank for joining you. I'll we'll back. And we'll get into some, maybe we can get into some some politics and language and there's, there's some good <laughs> there's some cool there's some good discussions to be had there. Definitely everyone thanks for listening. Uh Father Kerry will be back next week. We'll be in the studio. Thanks, Don, our producer. Thanks to Stillwater Radio. We love you. Have a great week, everybody. God bless.